0: 30 years ago, I survived a light aircraft crash, and sitting beside the wreckage of that plane, miraculously physically unhurt, I was forced to face my mortality, and life for me was never the same again. You're listening to Embracing Your Mortality, a podcast series exploring life, death, and consciousness, with me, author Sue Brain. Since my brush with death, I've written a number of books about mortality and consciousness because I'm so fascinated by both subjects. And I also run death cafes online and speak out about what it means for all of us to find ways to accept our mortality so we can live more consciously for a better world. As part of my journey, I've interviewed a host of fascinating and inspiring guests for my blog, Many of whom you're going to meet through this podcast. We know that there are many experiences in our, even in our mundane lives, which cannot really be explained. I mean, how do you weigh and measure love, for example? You suspend your rational mind for a little while. It's amazing what you learn. Some work around death and dying. We couldn't understand why funerals have to be boring and drab. The number of times people say to me, God, you know, I never knew you could do that. Others study consciousness and whatever comes next. I have a total different feeling about money and stuff like that than other people do that i would attribute to the near-death experience and then there are those who are learning how grief and loss are just part of the human condition it was like he was just sleeping so i had to kind of thank him for being in my life i definitely definitely will meet him again i hope these conversations will soothe you as well as inspire you to embrace your mortality, so you too can live more consciously for a better world. Claire Dubois is the courageous, passionate and dedicated founder of Tree Sisters. Claire acknowledges that her whole life has been about healing the feminine. And Claire's journey to set up Tree Sisters is both remarkable and quite terrifying, yet also magical and mystical. Tree Sisters is now rated in the top 20% of the most relevant and inspiring organisations on the planet.
1: I would say late 20s. I started having nightmares about climate change in my mid-20s, got properly frightened and properly distressed. I mean, I've been crying about climate change since I was about 24. But back then... There wasn't a sense of taking any leadership role. In fact, even when treatises was given to me in the car crash, I still, up to that point, and even after that point, actually, for a year, I just refused to do anything. I never, ever saw myself out front of anything because I'm an introvert. Back then, I was a profound introvert and incredibly insecure and wounded, really, honestly, and just couldn't cope with people, couldn't cope with people, couldn't cope with crowds, couldn't cope with much in life. I had an experience doing ritual theatre 2001 where I played a little cameo part called The Rape of the Earth and I was the planet and I was inside the experience of being the one that gives all, is completely unseen and is attacked whilst providing and then is driven to the edge of absolute collapse. But in the theatre that we did, it was complete collapse. And lying on the floor, having screamed my head off, I woke up to the reality that you can't put a planet into therapy. had uh, all the horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again, going round and round and round in my head. And I properly went into shock. Having had that experience, because they put me back on my throne and they dressed me and all the rest of it. And you can't do that. You can't do that. We can't put the minerals back in the ground. You can't put the oil back in the ground. You can't, you know, yes, we could probably bring our oceans back, but we're heading away from that reality so fast. Yes, we could reforest, but the trees are dying now because the climate is no longer appropriate for them. I mean, we we are in such a mess. But after I had been put back on my throne and went back down into the audience again, we did a present giving ceremony and I was given a little present to open. And when I opened it, there was a little blue book with a white cloud on it. And in the white cloud, it said, you can change the world. And the the dreams that I'd been having, my climate change dreams that I'd been having throughout my 20s were of no more clouds. So I used to grieve clouds. Wow. I mean, properly grieve clouds. I used to draw clouds. I'd be taking photographs of them. I would, you know, it was like I wanted to have cloudscapes all over my house because my dreams were telling me that there would be a time in England, when I was living in England, that there would be no more clouds, no more rain. So I knew the climate was changing and I kind of knew where we were going. And when I saw that little book and it said you can change the world, I broke into a million pieces. I sobbed incoherently for an hour. And during that sobbing, I had to take myself outside. During that time, I was having this argument in my head where my grief was screaming, you've got to do something, you've got to do something. And then my insecurity was going, you can do nothing, you're not good enough, nothing you could do would ever amount to anything How could you even imagine that you could do anything? And then this part of me would go, but the world I love is dying. I've got to do something. I've got to give my life to this. And then it would come on again, louder and louder. And then it became womankind screaming, we've got to do something. We've got to do something. And then patriarchy coming down and saying, who the hell do you think you are? You can't do anything. You're the problem. In this hour of sobbing, I went through this whole kind of existential, planet-scaled emotional argument. And I won. What I mean by that is my grief and my love was more important and the planet was more important than any amount of insecurity or neuroticism or externalized damnation of my pathetic attempt, whatever that would be. And that was the point that I laid down my life. And that was it. Like I gave my life, completely gave my life. And from that point on, it was just a search for what was it. I was going now, to do.
0: How did you find that it was going to be trees and the it was going to be with the sisters?
1: The trees thing started fairly soon after. I met a woman who wanted to take the feminine into business. I had absolutely no idea what that even meant, but I was working as a, an intuitive and a healer back then, and I wanted to coach people back to their essential selves. So I started coaching, and it had me end up going around all these different conferences in the States. It was like life taking me on this like step-by-step journey of here's the next stepping stone, here's the next stepping stone. And each time I heard somebody talk about what was going on in the rainforest and I would start bawling my eyes out. And I'd hear somebody talk about fundraising and I'd start bawling my eyes out. And then I'd hear somebody else talk about Indigenous peoples and I'd start bawling my eyes out. And then I'd hear something else about the forests and I'd start bawling my eyes out. And it was like my body talks to me through tears amongst other things. But when it starts incoherently crying for no reason, you can't miss it. It's like a signpost for me. So I started sort of walking around going, okay, I'm supposed to be raising money for trees. Like it's very obvious that that's part of it, but I've no idea in what form. And then I went out to India, must've been about 2006 because I was desperately trying to sort my head out as much as I tried everything I possibly could. I wasn't breaking out of victim consciousness. So I went to work with a karma-breaking yogi in India. The tsunami in southern India that had happened in 2004, 2005, that had wiped out so many of the coastal villages, the teacher that I went to, Sadhguru, his ashram had grown thousands and thousands of saplings to give to the people who'd lost family members so that they could plant these saplings and have a place to put their grief. And they had literally watched the complete rehabilitation of these villages as soon as they had somewhere to put their grief. And then these villagers had said, can we have more trees? Can we have more trees? And then this enormous tree planting initiative had started in India. And every time somebody talked to me about Project Greenhands, which is what it was called, I started crying again and I was just like, oh my God, here it is. This is it. So I became the UK coordinator for Project Greenhands, believing that that was the work that I was supposed to be doing. So finally, there I was supposed to be raising funds for trees. But what was interesting was I had no desire to raise funds for trees. What I really wanted to do was understand the social strategy because I wanted the world to raise funds for trees. So I spent three years backwards and forwards to India and trying to understand their social strategy. When I'd finally got it down to like seven steps, I was going to take it to a communications meeting in London and hand it over to this group and say, will you do a reforestation revolution? And it was literally that day that I crashed the car into a tree or a tree stopped me from going over the edge when I swerved on ice. And I was given Uh tree sisters. Literally in that moment. Literally, I swerved on ice. I was heading for an edge. My car was stopped by a tree, which is one of those great metaphors from life to say reforestation can stop humanity going over an edge. When I hit the tree, there was a blinding flash of white light inside the car, and inside the white light were two words, the experiment. Wow. And a voice started talking to me in the car, and it said, humanity is running out of time, but it's not over yet. It's going to take all of us rising to the challenge to get through what's coming. The single greatest threat facing humanity is fear of failure. But you can get over fear of failure because you can't fail an experiment. You can only learn. And I said, watch the experiment. And back came. You have to reforest the tropics within 10 years. And then my life flashed before my eyes. And I saw all these stepping stones to that point. And it was just like, oh, they want me to do this. And then I had a forward flash and I was shown the formation of a charity. I was shown myself going out front. I saw, I saw myself as a public figure. I saw myself on stage. And bear in mind, I am still at this point a roaring introvert. Like public speaking, you have got to be absolutely kidding. And I remember I started crying in the car because I was so shocked. I mean, there's having a crash anyway and whiplash and all the rest of it. I'm still in the middle of the road wrapped around a tree. But it was the shock of being given the job. And then the voice continued and it said, you have to mobilize the women. The women are the missing piece. The women are the womb carriers and earth is womb. Women and nature share a common history. What's been done to one has been done to the other. Feminine consciousness is the consciousness of of living systems, you know, of health, of vitality, of nature, blah, blah, blah. You have to make it as normal to give back to nature as it currently is to take nature for granted. Your project is called Tree Sisters. It is a crowdfunding. You are going to direct funds from everybody. I mean it literally was like take notes, here's your job. You are to call Tree Sisters. That was it. The project is called Tree Sisters. I mean none of this is my idea. Did you get any sense of who was communicating with you? No. No, it was a male voice, and it was as loud as if somebody was sitting literally in the car next to me. I have no idea who it was, and I think I was too shocked in the in the moment. I was so discombobulated. There was just wow. a crash, and then listening to this voice, so it told me what Tree Sisters was. It's funny it, talking about it makes me want to cry now, and I have no idea why. Yes. Because it's been so damn
0: the divine. That's why it's extremely moving. Maybe
1: maybe or or insanity or stupidity or I mean I have no idea but either way it ended with women have to remember who and what they are feminine consciousness has to be reinstated or it's over end of transmission literally that was it I went home called my partner and said I'm terribly sorry I've crashed the car it's wrapped around a tree I can't move it and he said are you all right and I was like yeah he said why are you crying and I was like because I've been given a job and I don't want it And he said, what is it? And I said, I've got to reforest the tropics within 10 years. Here I go. I really want to cry. How interesting. He sort of went silent for a minute. And then he said, well, somebody's got to do it. And that was it. So for nine months, I gestated. And my version of gestation was horrendous depression. Like horrendous. Like I'd been given this view of this version of Claire that I had no relationship with at all. This front person, this brave person, this woman who knew how to to set up a charity or work with a team or do accounting or legals or social media. Like I didn't even, I didn't even work on a computer back then. Like I was just, I refused to be on technology. And I was like, I was looking at a life stuck on technology, stuck on my laptop, stuck learning all these things that I didn't know. And I didn't want any of it. I didn't want any of it. I wanted nothing to do with it. And I was terrified of Women. And I was terrified of what would happen if I did something that celebrated women. Would I be more attacked by men or more attacked by women who were afraid of being attacked by men? I didn't know what the feminine even was. If you think about how life obviously doesn't agree, but I would say ill prepared I've been in terms of. You get, you get asked to start a global woman's movement. You get asked to reinstate the feminine principle and you get asked to help women remember who and what they are when you haven't got a clue what it means to be a woman, when you're frightened of women, when you've got no idea that there's anything remotely spiritual going on in your own body or that you've got any value. That's not the ideal place from which to try and start a woman's movement, but that's where I was. I tried various different versions on a theme of starting a tree initiative but for everybody men and women because I just didn't understand the why women bit Mm. well I did understand it but I was ignoring it I was too afraid of it and everything that I did would start brilliantly and then fall on its face incredibly badly and it got so bad that in the end the final kind of pull the rug out from underneath my feet was so brutal by life I literally said okay I get it I'm doing something wrong Get it? I'll stop. Tell me what to do. And the same voice came back. It only came twice. It came back and it said, You can do all of that, but you do it through the women. I was like, Okay, all right. So tell me what a tree sister is. And back came, It's a woman who makes five choices to be considerate of life, encouraging of her sisters, intimate with nature, responsible for its upkeep, and courageous with her gifts. I realized that was five-pointed star so I ran home and I drew a five-pointed star and I said tell me where they belong they placed those things in this five-pointed star in doing that they gave me the soul of tree sisters they gave me the sacred geometry on which tree sisters is founded and the rest as they say is history you know And then it was a case of sitting down with that map and trying to figure out what we had and understand it reach out to a friend of mine who'd been in India with me who was my dance teacher and just say this thing won't leave me alone. Do you want to play this game with me? She and I got together and then we started trying to figure out what the hell that would be. And then we went to a business person and started a company. And then it was like another year before we could get the charity started. And, and it was just this really pretty clueless, wandering around in the dark, making up as you go along experiment, which every step of the way, Every time I was just like throwing my hands up in horror, I just can't do it, I'm hopeless, I don't know how to do this, back would come. You can't fail, it's an experiment. So I always understood why Spirit started with that. Like, Mm -hmm. you cannot fail, it's an experiment, you are learning, Mm -hmm. was like the the primary thing. I do contribute to Tree Sisters. A few months ago now, and you were
0: talking to the Indigenous women about Tree Sisters and how they were experienced, um, the whole COVID thing. And I just felt your passion and your commitment to supporting them in any way you could. And I just
1: wondered what they have taught you through your journey with them. Frankly, I think it's why I'm living in America. You know, I never, ever, ever wanted to leave the UK. You couldn't pay me to leave the UK. So, of course, I had to fall in love with an American and emigrate in time right as Trump was being elected. I had never met an Indigenous person until I came to the States. I'd never met a Native American. I'd never met a Colombian tribes person. I'd never met an Amazonian. I'd never met a Hawaiian. I'd never met an Alaskan, a Native person. And I can't say I've had a lot of contact, you know, I've had some, but I haven't had a lot of contact, but the contact that I've had, you know, and Tree Sisters, we're working with a tribe in the Amazon, we're working with a tribe in West Papua, just moved into Borneo. I mean, again, when you're looking at all these different countries, you could say, well, they're all indigenous peoples, but so many of these cultures have been profoundly westernized already talking about people whose whose lives originate through profound nature connection and they haven't lost it yet, there's only really the native people in Amazonia that we're working with who are in that category. I've been with them, couldn't speak the language, have a translator at the time, so I haven't been able to sit with them and actually have a discourse. I've been in conversations like the one that you were part of. The primary thing that I have learned is that there is a state of being that they inhabit that is not dissociated, that is not broken, frankly. We have a broken relationship with the natural world, so broken that we don't even know it's broken, so broken we don't even know what's possible. And when you're talking to indigenous people who are speaking out of a completely different, not just a worldview, a lived reality of indivisibility, within which they are woven into the fabric of life and completely belong. There was a huge longing after the film Avatar came out. You know, people were depressed en masse because they wanted that. They wanted what they could see. And that's that indivisibility. That's that sense of belonging that everything is sacred. And we've been taught nothing is sacred. Any person can be taken advantage of. Your own body can be trashed. And the body of the planet is just there to plunder They don't live that way. They live in a state of sacred reciprocity. They're not severed from their ancestry and they're not severed from the land and nature. They belong inside everything. So there's an absence of what I would call neuroticism, which we are... It's rampant for us because we've, we're have we fundamentally disconnected. We've lost our route. We don't know who we are.
0: That's what's created so much misery in this world, isn't it? This sense of somewhere deep inside us, we're called to this profound connection with nature, but we don't know how to do it anymore. I spent some time with a really lovely woman who's a Canadian and she was working with the, some of the Indigenous tribes in Canada. She was saying that they look at us, how we're trying to you know, live consciously for a better world in our very Western way. And they, they just don't get us.
1: And I'm really curious about that. No, I have hung out with some of the Kogi who are, who consider themselves the guardians of the planet, the spiritual guardians of the planet, this Colombian tribes. Their shamans spend between the first nine and 26 years of their life in the dark, in a cave, just communing with Gaia. They don't come out. They never see the light of day. They learn how to communicate with the planet at the most intimate level. They learn how to communicate off planet. Um, they learn how to be with other planets. They literally a physiological embodiment of the planet. I mean, we all are, but they are actually activating their consciousness inside of that reality. We couldn't understand each other. Mm. I, tried, I tried everything. It was going from English into Spanish, into Kogi. So we, we had like translator, translator which meant an awful lot was getting lost in translation. But I'd ask a question that was deeply meaningful and really designed to try and help them. They'd just laugh at me. And I would no no understanding of what they were finding funny. They wanted to understand about religion. Talk about trying to have a difficult conversation <laughs> via two lots of translation, you know. Because we were talking, trying to talk about the role of women and how there were so many women in our network that wanted to support them. And we wanted to take their wisdom back to see how these women could absorb this wisdom. They did not understand feminine empowerment at all. Like that was a complete mystery to them because in their culture, women are the black earth. Women are the source of all of life. Women are the source of power. Men spend their entire time trying to grow into their spiritual practice or whatever, but women are already that. And so, how could you possibly need to empower a woman? This is ridiculous. You know, the conversation got hilarious. It got down to, you know, we, we were created out of one of Adam's ribs. And they were like on the floor, rolling around, laughing their heads off. I mean, it was the most preposterous thing. I was trying to ask them about the reality that they and others have basically said that they can't see the future beyond 2026. But what they see before that is cataclysmic climate change. They wouldn't answer my questions. And I was sort of saying, you know, there are women who want to know whether there is any point having children, because nobody's got any sense that there's actually going to be a future. They said, every time an indigenous language is lost on this planet, species go extinct. The human relationship with the planet is way more profound than anything we could ever imagine. And that if women stop giving birth, the earth will die. They were so like, basic 101 what it means to be a woman your blood and your placenta does not belong to you it's got to be given back it's it's food for Gaia it's what she needs in order to self-sustain I have a tendency to to trust the wisdom of a culture that spend the first 26 years of their life only in communion with the mother you know they're being trashed their tribes are literally seen as they're, they're a tourist attraction what do you want to say to
0: young women actually any woman the kids are really aware of climate change now and they're really terrified for their future obviously they are what do you want to say to them
1: there's an ancient tibetan myth that when a thousand goddesses gather the divine feminine will, will rebirth through their combined energies and the frequency of on the planet will shift from one of fear to one of love that's starting women are rising now if you know the science yeah it's over but science doesn't account for the power of human consciousness awakened in relationship with nature itself we're starting to shift out of dissociation into awareness the feminine is rising Women are starting to remember who and what we really are. We're just starting to. That's part of your work. And there is untold power there. And that's why the Kogi say women have to keep birthing babies. Women are, are the black earth. They are the source of fertility on this planet. You can't empower a woman. She is power. You know, but we've forgotten because we've, been, we've allowed ourselves to be conditioned and indoctrinated away from who and what we are by a patriarchal, incredibly sick system. Well, OK, so that's happened. Now what are we going to do? If I can recover and I am the planet, then the planet can recover. That's one thing. Secondly, nature is actually incredibly resilient, incredibly resilient. You give her an inch, she'll take a mile. And we're starting to realize that we've got to give back to her. Thirdly, I do not believe that the feminine with her incredible intelligence would rise at the last minute as a last gasp before the whole thing falls over. Mm -hmm. That's just not how this is going to play out. Mm -hmm. I don't know how it's going to play out. What we have now is one choice, and that choice is to wake up and live the most meaningful lives that have been lived for thousands of years as we start to realise how powerful we are in direct relationship with nature, as we start to figure out what does it actually mean to turn our species around, start living lives of reverence for nature and reverence for each other, and no longer condoning or colluding with patriarchal systems that dominate self, other, and nature. I'm given. I get to have an extremely tough life, frankly. There's nothing simple about what I'm doing. A very, very meaningful life. Like every day, my life is given to this planet. My life is given to the children. I'm not a mother. My life is given to every child on this planet. I'm trying to create a habitable future. Well, anybody can join me in that. Anybody can... Can look at the ecosystem that most touches them and and commit to bringing that ecosystem and the restoration of that ecosystem into their consciousness, into their awareness, and into their creative dreaming. How can my gifts and abilities be given in service to the restoration of our world? That is the most breathtakingly beautiful gift you can give. You're not alone. Life is here, the trees are here, the sky is listening nature is with you you know it's not about i'm not enough it's not about all the stuff that i went through in that ritual theatre there's a lot of very special
0: young people coming through
1: now i'm sort of you know reaching
0: the other end of the conveyor belt but i'm deeply hopeful For actually not just them as individuals, but actually them as groups. And the boys are coming up with it. They seem to be a lot of them. I'm not all of them, obviously, but there's a lot of very different behavior and thinking going on. You know, my
1: version of reality, their souls are here for a specific reason. I would love to just end with, if I may, everything that we have has come out of the earth. Everything that we are, even our bodies have come out of the earth, our homes, every city, every car every plane, every single thing we've seen has come out of the earth. Taking it from the earth has contributed to warming the earth. And that if we're warming the earth to that degree, then we've got to start cooling her. And the fastest way to do that is through fast growing tropical trees. And that's why Tree Sisters is focused in the tropics because if the hottest belt of our planet turns to desert, which it will do if we strip the tropical forests, there is no cooling us and we will run out of rain. We're already 50% down on precipitation. It's a really strong request that I have for everybody that listens to this podcast to step in and start giving back as a generous act of normalcy because why wouldn't we take care of our mother?
0: I hope you found what Claire had to say as motivating, touching, and inspirational as I did. To find out more about Claire and Tree Sisters, go to treesisters.org. Or. links to all my guests can be found on my website subrain.co.uk and that's subrainbray e.co.uk. My next guests are equally inspirational because their husband and wife team, Simon Smith and Jane Morell, who set up Green Fuse as an alternative funeral business to empower people to create funerals they really want. Once a family start remembering somebody and talking about
1: them, then things start firing in their brains about what would make a good funeral.
0: You've been listening to Embracing Your Mortality and I look forward to you joining me again. In the meantime, here's to all of us living more consciously for a better world.
1: The Embracing Your Mortality podcast was researched and recorded by Sue Brain and produced and edited by the podcast den.